My bike? Describe your bike. It's a Gary Fisher. He's an American. He made the Gary Fisher bike called the Gitigumi. I sell them to get flat tires, but I do have a bicycle kit with a pump. I'm self-sufficient. This thing is self-sufficient. I'm so proud of my trailer. This thing can carry two men. You can go to a garbage can, you can find your food. You can go on the lane, you can find some money, buy nickels and dimes, bring it to the depot, carry your sleeping gear on it. I take my plastic bag and fill it up with plastics and cans and glass. Then I have to move my radio once in a while because my buggy's getting too full. My CBC on. Did you sing in a choir as a kid? Yes. It was the Catholic Boys Choir. Dana Glover stuff. See? See? That's how many people I know. I know everyone out here. I've been here for 12 years. We're the, uh, the ultimate comedy club for the homeless. When we get going, we don't even have to be drunk. Hey, Danny, baby. Oh, no, no hugging, no hugging. No, no, it makes us look stupid being homeless. <laughs> We've got to go make some money. Do you want to come outside the depot with us? Is that where you're going now? Yeah. In his 12 years on the street, Arthur's only income has been from what's called binning, hunting through garbage for bottles and cans. It helps that in British Columbia, almost every beverage container is worth something, at least five cents. One large and three small glasses. Nickels and dimes add up. Two, four, six, seven. On a good day, Arthur can cash out with 20 or 30 dollars. Other days, with just enough for a loaf of bread. Thank you so much, sir. Or a few cans of beer. That's wonderful of you. Thank you so much. Or a pack of cigarettes. Once he moves inside, Arthur won't leave his old life behind entirely. During the day, he'll still be out biking around, binning for bottles and cans. But at night, he'll mostly sleep indoors. A few weeks after he signed the tenancy forms, Arthur got the keys to his brand new bachelor apartment. And for the first time in 12 years, he had a door he could lock. Arthur wanted to capture for himself as much as he could of this huge change in his life. Test, test. So I set him up with a machine and a microphone and helped him get started. Testing. Now One, look, I see, can hear myself. If it's flashing, oh, it's recording. Yeah, it flashes as there's sound. Hey, I'm a DJ. 
Pretty soon, Arthur headed off downstairs to do some test recordings. Hi guys. Hey, what are you up to, Arthur? All right. Oh, we're having lunch, are we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing the transition from moving inside from living outside for so many years. And this is CBC tape. Nobody has to feel nervous. There's nobody's going to get in trouble. All right. So are you telling us that you're recording this? Right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds are spicy. It's just my, you know, this is a new experience for me. To come and sit with how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight women. Oh, that's Ooh, a good. touchdown. <laughs> and by the way, you're all pretty too. We know. Thanks a lot, guys. Everybody does what it takes to live. We're all trying to straighten out our lives, right? Get a resume together, maybe try to find some work. But mainly just to get healthy again. Yeah, just get healthy again. Lose the bad dreams. Sleep with both eyes closed. And feel safe. That's the biggest part of it. The most important part about this room is that I actually feel safe. Be yourself. Especially, do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all heredity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune. But do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born out of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You're a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. Keep peace with your soul. With all its shame, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Desirata. 1895, in old St. Paul's Church in England. When did, do you remember when you first read it? I was nine years old, and when I read it, I just couldn't get it out of my head. First time I read it, I almost remember I memorized it all. Yeah. We just get out of the foster homes and stuff. So, whose home was it that you found it? Andrew and Dodie. There are two old farmers married forever. They took us in. My brother Tommy. Myself, my sister Shirley. How long were you at that foster home? Mm, two years.
can listen to this every Sunday. Uprising. Did you grow up um, around the Catholic Church? Yes. Nova Scotia. I was an older boy. I was baptized. I was communed. And I was segregated. When we were young, there were eight of us. Because my father had post traumatic stress in him. For me and Lord, couldn't handle it. My mother did her best. They separated us into different houses, under a different family. Strangers. It was very difficult. Arthur's father had been in the Second World War, and as soon as he was old enough, Arthur also signed up as a regular in the Canadian Armed Forces. I am 113249171. I am a demonition expert. Anti-submarine warfare. Where, where did you serve? Asia. Hmm. Huh? You name some place where I've been. Um, Japan. Yes. Korea. Yes. China. Yes. Uh, Malaysia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You, you were in the navy. Yes. Yeah. From what was your base? Your home. It's Guangzhou. so different from the sounds that we heard when we lived in the lanes. It's a whole different bunch of sounds now. It's like um, budgets going off, door slamming, refrigerator vibrating, or the wind blowing under the door. It's a whole different sound. They asked me if I would like a small pet, maybe a cat or a small dog. But I said no, because in the end, it's just a heartbreak. You get used to something and they die. I'll just give you a taste of my life in Nova Scotia. When I joined the military in 1980, and I had this girlfriend named Kim, and she's and we were childhood sweethearts. We were gonna, like, you know, I was gonna go to the military, and she'd wait for me. And then my first cousin never went to the military. Well, he ended up marrying her, and then they had a child. And after 12 years of this, 
he ended up molesting the little girls. My friends grabbed me and pretty well threw me out of the province. Because I was going to hurt them. And I hitchhiked across Canada and I saw every province. It took me four months to get to Vancouver from Nova Scotia. And every day that I was hitchhiking, slowly but surely, I burned my anger out of me. But why Vancouver? You don't need to go all the way to the west coast to get away from Nova Scotia. The reason was Tommy, Arthur's older brother. Tommy had hitched out west about five years earlier and then more or less disappeared. I told my mom, I said, look, I'm gonna go find him. He's living on the street somewhere in Vancouver. I come out to find him. So I spent the whole week trying to find him. Hey, do you guys know Tommy, Tommy, Tommy? But I didn't realize that they actually, his nickname was Red. Mm. And so when I went to Swastika Gym, he said, no, I don't know anybody named Tommy, but I know a guy that looks an awful lot like you. I said, where is he? He said, he's living behind the Ramada. Made my way up there and uh, sure enough, there's my brother with a shopping cart. His sleeping gear and everything on it. I said, what are you doing, Tommy? Arthur says, I'm just so used to it. I couldn't find work. I was getting depressed, so I just he just packed it up and he lived on the street. Yeah. Once you found him and found him living on the street. I decided I'm gonna you... I'm gonna camp with him, right? I'm gonna I'm his younger brother and he told me some awful stories about people attacking me at night and stuff, and I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you, Tom. So now two brothers were living rough in Vancouver. Soon there would be three. Arthur also had a younger brother, Alvin. When Arthur made his journey west, Alvin was serving time in a federal penitentiary. When Alvin was released, he set out to find his older brothers. I went to find Tommy, and then Alvin came to find me and Tommy. <laughs> and then we all ended up living on the street. <laughs> yeah. Arthur and his brothers decided it was time to make some changes. So they headed off to the social assistance office. We said, well, we'd like to apply for some assistance because we're really starting, you know, trying to get our lives together, look for work. She said, you're from where? I said, Nova Scotia. She says, well, why, why don't you just go back to Nova Scotia? And we said, we're out of here. <laughs> so ever since that day, we never bothered going to the government for assistance anymore. We decided we couldn't put our feet down and just make out the best way we can. And that's what they did for another 10 years. Another whole decade of living on the street, collecting bottles and cans and sleeping in parks and alleys. Then they heard that new supportive housing was opening up in Vancouver, not just in the downtown east side, but also in the more affluent west side where they were living. Arthur 
and his older brother Tommy decided it was time to move off the street. And now, Arthur's room is on the fourth floor, and Tommy is right below him on the third. Here we sit, all alone, feeling sorry about each other, when we should be out looking around, helping people with love. <laughs> Don't we tell them about like what it's like to live on the street and share things. You can't, Arthur. You can't make people feel the way other people do on the streets. So it's better not to mention, oh, I had such a good time. Oh, every night was a heartache and every day was a hard day. And it was. But I didn't find it that way because I knew I had to do it. I had to do it, had to do it, get down, do it, do it, do it, do it, you know. Can't roller skate and the buffalo hurt, but hey, if you're, if you're out without welfare, living with no income at all except for what you collect every doggone day in God's creation, that gives you room to say, how the heck did I manage that one? <laughs> That's a mesmerizing me too. How did I do it for only 12 years? You did it for 17. <laughs> We've seen our lives fall apart and we know how long it takes to pick the pieces up to get it back to where it maybe not should be, but where it could be. You know? Well, we know how to survive. But the youngest brother, Alvin, didn't survive. Eighteen months before Tommy and Arthur moved in, Alvin died in a parking garage behind a McDonald's restaurant. And they gave me this report back from the coroner's office. And they said it was an accidental death. And he died of mixed drugs and alcohol toxicity due to the consequences of consuming a lethal mixture of alcohol, cocaine, and morphine. I was with my brother one hour before he died. I only left him for an hour because him and I had a disagreement. He was not drunk. He was not intoxicated at all. I know this for a fact. I was there. Arthur is still trying to find out what happened. He wonders if Alvin might have had an aneurysm, or if he got some bad dope, or if someone put the boots to him and kicked him to death. People talk to me. Some people say, oh yeah, we're the ones that did your brother in. I... Someone said that to you? Yeah. And then there's the question of what to tell the family back in Nova Scotia. Arthur and Tommy have told their mother a softer story to try to protect her from the truth. It still bothers Arthur that he lied to his mother. Do you think at any point in your life or your mom's life you're going to tell her what really happened to Alvin? Not in this life, no. But you know when she passes on to the next, she will learn that I lied to her. But it was a white lie to protect her heart, that's all.
got my two comforters. And it's so warm in here, that's all I'll need tonight. Oh, glass of water. Need my ashtray. It's now six months since Arthur moved into his room in the supportive housing building. Can't believe I threw my bed away. I just more comfortable on the floor. I've slept on the ground for years. Arthur's not the only one who's come in off the streets to live here. A dozen have. He knows most of them. They slept shoulder to shoulder through a lot of winters. I call us the dirty dozen. The 12 sweet people that they moved into this building to get along with the residents. Most of the residents have moved here from other community housing. They have either mental health issues or developmental disabilities. Arthur's room provides him with a TV, a stereo, his own bathroom and kitchen, security. Lock your door. And a lot of time to think. I guess this is a start. I can start getting some proper sleep. Over 10 years, sleeping no more than four hours every day. It's gonna take a while to recover from that. Yeah. I still have trouble sleeping. I have to take medication now. On the street, I always had trouble sleeping, but I never had to take any medication. I just endured it. But as for my first night in here, I didn't sleep. It was actually scary. No music, no entertainment at all, just no cigarettes, no alcohol, nothing. And I just sat there and thought, what was it like out there? And what's it gonna be like in here? didn't even want to stay in here. But now I think I'm starting to get used to it. They told me it would take me up to a year come down after living out there for that many years. Just to be, how they say, normal again. We'll see. I'm still having trouble believing that this room is going to be here for a while for me. I miss a lot of my friends out there too. Everybody says you can still go visit your friends, the street people out there and all the other neighbors in the neighborhood that knew you as a street guy. I love conversation and I love telling jokes and they loved it too, to hear my voice and to hear my jokes. I never want to lose that. Arthur heads out with his bike, his radio, and his old friend, Brian. Did you ever hear two raccoons fighting? <laughs> Pretty fierce. Oh yeah, it sounds like little babies crying. This is the middle of the night too, right? Oh yeah, it's at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. In the back alley, waking you up. <laughs> and, and there's nobody I can phone. <laughs> to complain about the raccoons <laughs> yelling at each other. I had a skunky, right? <laughs>
Okay, you know those cappuccino cups that Tim Horton sells with the round hole in the top of the, the cover? Yeah, sure. Okay, this gun has his head trapped in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He got taken to the SPCA. No, this is my true story. This gunk actually started bumping into my sleeping bag when I was sleeping. And I woke up. What the hell is that? He's got that top of the cup yeah. trapped in his head. And so I bring up a garbage bag, right? Reach very slowly. I got a garbage bag out of my cart. I grabbed the cop that was on the skunk's head and I held it up like this, and the skunk came up with me. I shook it three times. The skunk falls out. It almost looked at me and said to say thank you. He just scurried off. He never sprayed me. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Arthur's new life is a disorienting combination of inside and outside, of street and room. He likes his room with all its comforts, but it can feel claustrophobic. I'm lucky I have a balcony. And when I stand here on my balcony, I'm looking up at the city lights and they're all glittering almost as much as the stars. When I stare up at the stars, I always did that when I was in the lane. Always. Because there was hope out there somewhere. And I knew there was. When I was in the Pacific Ocean, and we were in blackout, that means our ship has no lights on it. And I'm lifeboard sentry. So I'm sitting at the very stern of the ship, and you can look up, there are so many stars in the ocean. It's not like the city, but pictures that I, I'll never forget. And they haunt me for some reason. Moving into supportive housing, has given Arthur the time and space to think about the old days. It's also given him new problems. Yesterday, I I was watching a hockey game, and at intermission time, I went, took my time out of my life to go down and um, play bowling with Penny and some of the tenants in the building. And then I come back. And I open my door and I find this thing on my floor. It's the uh, resident, residential tenancy agreement addendum. Addendum. Any drug related criminal activity, soliciting sex trade workers and related nuisance activity, street gang activity, assault or threatened assault. Unlawful use of a firearm. Assault or threatened assault. I never assaulted anyone in this building, and I did not threaten anyone in this building, and not the staff either. Another tenant has made a complaint about Arthur's behavior, and the building managers want to talk to him. What, what we want to ask you is, um, if, if you're 
if you're having um, some issues with flying off the handle. Yes, I'm seeing doctor about that. I know, at UBC, but so uh, that's not an issue at the table right now. So. It is an issue at the table because you threatened my staff. How did I threaten them? You said that they would get what's if they didn't stay out of it. They would get what's coming to them. I never said that to anyone. Never. Why would I say that? Anyway, that's what they heard. But if you didn't say it, anyway, let's not go there in in, in that. Yeah, that's how they perceive it anyway. So, I mean, and a lot of things happen when you get angry, right? Back in his room, Arthur shares a drink with one of his old street buddies and lets off some steam. When we were in the lanes, we used to chase people away that caused problems in their lives and kept us awake and just get out of here. Chased them away. Yes, you had no option. No option, just chase them away. Now we have an option. We have a lock. We have a door. That's a good option. Lock the damn door. It's not locking people out. It's locking yourself in. What I'm saying is this building here is driving me crazier than when I was out there in the lanes. At least I could leave somewhere and I go meet different people. But in this building here, you, I almost feel like I'm trapped. I'm out of here, Robert. Very soon. I'm serious. I'm not violent, I'm not dangerous, except for my mouth. That's my weapon. Because I had 22 men under me when I was a master seaman in the armed forces. I built my life in the military. Hey, Bill, how's it going? What are you doing? I'm just trying to cool off. I learned in the military that you adapt to your environment. I have to learn to adapt again to this. It's only been six months. Arthur walks with the wide, strong strides of a man used to the roll of a ship on a heavy sea. He loved his life in the Canadian Navy, and he hates the fact that he was discharged after only eight years of service. For them to just to release me like that, give me $6,000, it's just, I broke down. Arthur was discharged from the Navy because of something that happened on shore. His ship, HMCS Saskatchewan, was tied up in Vancouver and he and some buddies dropped into a local bar. As he was leaving, four men attacked him. They hit me in the face with a two by four and broke all my teeth. And, well, that's a long story. So you're with a buddy? I woke up three days later and bought a warship with all the surgery done to me. With my sergeant telling me to get up. I should have been in a regular hospital on shore. 
instead of brought back to the little hospital on board ship, like a piece of meat. You got, you got better from that? And then, but no, I never got better. I could never concentrate again like I used to. What year was that? 1986. And what year did you get out? 1987. Did you stay on board the ship for that year? Yes. Like an active duty? But they wouldn't let me do anything. Just go to your bunk. <coughs> He's nearly 55 now. His ginger hair is thinning and his beard is with gray. And all these years later, Arthur has never had his teeth replaced, and he's still feeling the effects of that head injury. And now, with a room and proper sleep, he's getting flashbacks and nightmares. You know, I never had one good dream since I moved in there. Not one. They've all been nightmares and horror stories. Like a three-headed dog gonna attack me. A three-headed dog. I go to get out of my sleeping bag because like, I still sleep on the floor. And as I turn to the right, there's a great big golden brown bear. Now, I know that he's trying to protect me because he's snarling at the three-headed dog. And when I jumped up completely out of my gear, everything disappeared, it was all gone. Tried to talk to a staff member at 3 a.m. in the morning. It was so real. Oh, we're too busy to talk here right now, Arthur. We get other people to deal with too, you know, Arthur. Anyway. Up a long hill from his apartment is a small Anglican church. The Lord says that I will come down with my white angel with his big white wings and I will smother the darkness. Arthur comes here to lay down some of his worries and fears. Let us pray. Almighty God, Almighty God. Almighty God. Almighty God. Almighty God. all our hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. That we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve that body and soul unto everlasting life. Turn my back for a moment, Mum. It was only a moment. I come to Mass so I can get some solace and ask for forgiveness for walking away from my brother in his time of need. Leaving my brother alone. Him and I had a disagreement and I walked away. An hour later, the police picked me up saying, your brother's dead. 
One thing we learn when we go to church, you have to continue. You cannot commit suicide. You cannot murder somebody. You just have to take a deep breath and continue. Sunday Mass usually gives Arthur the peace that he's looking for. But not today. Today, the past comes back. Full flood. He cranks his radio up and heads into the streets. My brother's death is killing me. I can't believe the way he went. It's not fair. Not fair. They took my youngest brother. I mean, they took him. I know they did. I know the story. I lived in the street. It doesn't matter what their autopsy report says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I know they took him. Remember when I told you that I, I hitchhiked across Canada and I, every province I went through, a little bit of anger left me, a little bit of anger left me, a little bit of anger left me. By the time I got to BC, it was... It was out of me. Now my anger is back in me. Me. A young Canadian soldier. Get that you away from me. What are you saying that for? Who are you? A young Canadian soldier. No, Who are no. you? Who are you? I'll call a cop. You asshole. I'll beat the f out of you. He said I smelled like alcohol and I smelled like uh, dirt, the way I looked. Freaking nut house out here tonight. And there's five of them. There's only one of me. Ah, it's better if I just move. As the dawn light rises, Arthur heads off to find some peace and quiet. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight anymore. I'm at the graveyard. It's one of our favorite spots where we used to hang out.
sprinklers have just come on. I haven't heard the crows yet. Now the crow. The day is done. The moon has sprung from ecstasy. Setting sun. My work is done. The moon it brings is. You ask me why. Look at yourself in the mirror. What do you see? Some lights appear. All I can see is you. Seem to All I see is the world. I can't see myself. Some lights appear. I found my radio in the garbage, and it actually worked. I always carry a radio. You see the same Ain't I put upon a table? There's a book up in the But you better not complain, boy. You get in trouble with the maid. <laughs> Midnight special. It's my first night I spent outside in a few weeks. Twelve years of outside and I just had to get back out for a while. Arthur's new favorite place is his balcony. Half inside, half outside. About where he is now. I just can't drop that feeling of living in the lanes and the coldness and the loneliness of it. No government support, only the charity of people and whatever we could find being honest about it, an honest living. Can you imagine <laughs> a poor person living an honest existence? No greed, no greediness. And yet, Things that have gone wrong 
That's what brings a person to the street. Running away from something that happened in our lives. Every time I walk in the lanes now, just walking like a normal person, not a homeless guy, I start to cry when I see people sleeping on the side and pushing shopping carts and stuff. Bless you all. 